In our uh, obituary section, which is reserved for the top of our third segment generally, we are sad to note the passing of Molly Ivins, described in the Sacramento Bee as the gleefully liberal pundit. Quoting from Elaine Wu's L.A. Times obituary, Molly Ivins, the irrepressibly irreverent political humorist and syndicated columnist who skewered legislators, governors, and presidents, especially those from her beloved Texas, died Wednesday at her home in Austin after a long battle with cancer. Miss Ivins established herself as a font of liberal outrage and hilarity during the 1970s when she was an editor and writer on the Texas Observer. She went on to write for a wide range of publications, including the New York Times, the Dallas Times-Herald, and the Fort Worth Star-Telegram. In recent years, she wrote for Creators Syndicate, which distributed her twice-weekly column to 400 papers across the United States. Wrote Bob Ray Sanders about his, uh, his colleague and fellow Texas liberal, Molly wanted local and national leaders to be held accountable for their actions or inactions, and if no one else was willing to do it, dadgummit, she was. We're pleased to say that we, uh, we had Molly Ivins on this program, and her interview is available on our website, radioparallax.com. This was show number 107, dated July 8th, 2004. It started like this. Molly Ivins, welcome to Radio Parallax. Oh, thank you. What a great name. <laughs> You're the first person that's uh, that's got it. <laughs> One of my favorite, favorite favorite metaphors. Oh, excellent. Your bio reveals that you speak Spanish. I once heard that Paul Harvey alleged that while George W. Bush was in Mexico, he conversed with Vicente Fox in Spanish. Uh, but you re- reveal in your book, however, that W. once said in a debate, No es el verdad, with uh, <laughs> la verdad, of course, being correct for that's not right. So do you have any doubts about the president's uh, diplomatic uh, standard Spanish? <laughs> I think it's one of the myths about Bush that Karl Rove really deserves a medal for. <laughs> We're very pleased that Molly Ivins was familiar with what parallax meant and found it to be one of her favorite metaphors. Please check out the rest of the interview on our website. But I would like to just read a couple of her, uh, her more notable quotes. Said Molly Ivins. In Texas, we do not hold high expectations for the governor's office. It's mostly been occupied by crooks, dorks, and the comatose. Molly Ivins. As they say around the Texas legislature, if you can't drink their whiskey, screw their women, take their money, and vote against them anyway, you don't belong in office. Molly Ivins. I know vegetarians don't like to hear this, but God made an awful lot of land that's good for nothing but grazing. And from her very last column, dated January 11, 2007, We are the people who run this country. We are the deciders. And every single day, every single one of us needs to take a step outside and take some action to help stop this war. Raise hell. Think of something to make the ridiculous look ridiculous. Make our troops know that we're for them and trying to get them out of there. Molly Ivins, we salute you.
As promised at the top of the program, we are going to uh, continue talking to uh, some of our friends here. And our friend in this segment is Dr. Andrew Nangalama. Dr. Nangalama is a local physician, having been in the Davis-slash-Sacramento area since the early 1980s. He spoke to us uh, last year about uh, a charity operation going on for orphans in Uganda. As we say, welcome back to Radio Parallax, Dr. Nangalama. Thank you. And how's the progress going on the the orphanage? Uh, The progress is uh, going quite well. We're going to be having a similar conference this year. Um, in um, El Dorado and uh, Rancho Cordova area um, during Memorial Weekend, uh, May this year. Okay. Well, then they raised, raised quite a bit of money last year, I guess. Yeah, we raised quite a bit of money, but we still have uh, quite a bit of work to do with uh, orphanages and uh, medical provisions for you know the orphans in Uganda. Well, we'll have to talk about that again uh, when, May, when May rolls around. But I, I wanted you to come on today's program because I had a chance uh, two weeks back to see the very interesting movie out there, Last King of Scotland, uh, with um, Forrest Whitaker's Oscar nominee portraying Idi Amin, the former dictator of Uganda. As a former Ugandan, you have quite an interesting story, I think, to tell us about the country, starting with the fact that you actually met Idi Amin. Yes, I met Idi Amin. Specifically, Idi Amin uh, visited my home when my father was involved in the government in Uganda. And that was 1971. Uh, When he first came into power, he had to go around the country to get support from different tribes. My father, having been a leader of the tribe where I came from, uh, he came and, uh, you know, he was a a big guest of the tribe, and uh, Azida Amin moved with a lot of military. and uh, So he came in with his whole entourage. He came with a whole of entourage. And in fact, he landed with his helicopter in my father's farm. And uh, at that time, the locals, people rushed to the farm, and everything on the farm was stampede, <laughs> and there was no replacement. <laughs> <laughs> your, your father was talking to him. Did you get a chance to listen in, or were you... I, I was pretty young. I didn't get a chance to listen in uh, because uh, he was surrounded by many people in the government. And even though he visited the home, it was an official home, so we were left out. But I had a chance to shake hands with him. What, what, what was your impression as a young man of meeting the president of the country? He was a very big figure. He was a very big man, very energetic, and uh, he, he stood up in the the crowd among most people in the, could easily tell who Idamin was, the way he walked, the way he presented himself. He presented himself with a man of, of power. If my memory serves me correct, he was a big man. He was actually the boxing champion of the country, the heavyweight boxing champion. He, he was one time a heavyweight champion during colonial days in the, uh, in the 50s. Uh, but then he was military uh, officer under United Kingdom, King's Army. I guess he was, the movie portrays him liking the Scots because he was part of the Scottish Highlanders or something. It was something they were. I think uh, he had friendship and a contact early on with the Scotch, uh, most likely through his military training. And uh, when he had power, he just continued his friendship. And uh, I think they were probably his close advisors. Well, you've had a chance to see uh, the movie, and what did you think of it? 
the movie for uh, most part uh, the actors and the actresses uh, they did a great job many parts of the movie are quite accurate for the stories that happened when you look at the movie comprehensively uh, may make things look simple but a lot of complicated and unfortunate things happened but i think those are some of the you know stories that you know stand up certainly it portrays idamin as a man who had full was full of ego uh, a man who was determined to to be a dominant in society a tyranny and think he had probably the feeling that probably he was going to be uh, a person extending power all over the africa in the world I know that when he went to the Organization of African Unity meeting wearing six guns on his hip, he got a standing ovation and he was for at least a while wildly popular in Africa. I think Ida Amin was popular probably uh, part of his uh, support came from the the poor of the people who had mainly been in the military. Uganda was a country in eastern Central Africa which had had a good basic education. Uh, compared to the neighboring countries they had many people who were well educated either mean decided that he was going to turn things the other way around and uh, get all the uneducated people who were in the military at the time to take over the power and when he promoted those people therefore he decided to eliminate anybody who had a, a good education or who could at least question what they were doing Well, I think maybe a lot of people aren't so familiar with uh, Amin's rule. It's been a while since the 1970s, but uh, I think that as it unfolded, the world was horrified that this country of 11 million people was having something like at least 100,000, some say maybe 300,000 people killed in all of the, the disorder and strife and, and just some just outright barbarities that took place. His way of killing people was uh, right from the beginning. He wanted to show the people that he was in power and uh, he wanted to show people that he was coming to stay and uh, whoever would question whatever, there was no discussions was going to be executed. I, for myself, I lost some of my family, close family, you know, some who were executed, homes that were blown up. It affected my uh, being in Uganda. I was a student in a veterinary school and the university. I was in the students' government, and uh, suddenly we were not happy. We formed an opposition, and uh, because of the opposition, that we received, you know, uh, punishment from Idi Amin, and I had to flee the country. Talking about this before we we sat down before the mic, you told me that. Um The movie ends with what was sort of the unraveling of Amin, the raid at Entebbe where Israeli commandos came in and, and basically took back people that the Palestinians had hijacked. And uh, I gather that this sort of inspired some people in the country that, you know, that maybe you can stand up to Amin and win. Ida Amin, the way, you know, he wanted to show to the people or sometimes scared people like at the university, He would fly his MiGs over the university and bring tanks to roll in the university campuses. So when he heard that uh, the university students were cheering because of the Entebbe air raid, 
the first thing he did was to fly all his MiGs over the university, making all the noise. And then he had to bring all the tanks and the trucks to take over the university. Wow. So uh, when, he, when he sent jets flying, are we, you're talking about jets just flying at low altitude? There were MiGs flying about, probably about 30 feet above <laughs> the buildings. So like know. 500 miles an hour buzzing, yes, buzzing the campus. Uh, and of course, the tanks surrounding all the streets. This was being done day and night. And then the night when it was dark, that's when they turned off all the lights on the campus and then they attacked the university. I know that at this point you had to flee the country into Kenya, and from which you found your way to the United States, but why don't we actually break this up? I'd like to actually tell you that on next week's show, because yes. we're going to talk to David Walachinsky about some of the current worst dictators in the world. So we'll uh, stop right now, but have you come back in a week and then continue the story. Does that, does that sound okay? That sounds great. All right. We've been speaking with Dr. Andrew Nangalama. He is a local physician. Uh, we should note that he obtained both his PhD at UCD in the, the field of endocrinology slash biochemistry, and he also obtained his MD degree here at UC Davis. But in 1976, he was fleeing his country literally on foot, traveling 300 miles into Kenya. He will return the next week to tell us uh, how that unfolded. So. This, this means you have to tune in again next week, dear listener. All right, we are out of time, but as mentioned in passing, we hope to have on next week's program David Walachinsky, the best-selling author of The People's Almanac. We are huge fans of the People's Almanac series produced uh, by Mr. Walachinsky and Irving Wallace. I recommend that everyone have on their, uh, on their home bookshelf Walachinsky's The People's Almanac Presents the 20th Century. We hope to talk to him on next week's program about his latest book, Tyrants, the World's 20 Worst Living Dictators. We are looking very forward to that on next week's program. This program was produced by Edward McMillan. I'm your host, Douglas Everett. We will see you next week at the same time. Stay tuned here on KDVS for Ruby, whose program, Faint of Heart, will initiate the resumption of our fine musical programming here on the station. Mm-hmm.